Welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. There are three different types of radiation, alpha, beta, and gamma. What does this technology do? It's like, well, what can you do with electricity? I just survived 30 years HIV positive. I'm certainly not going to let a little thing like a brain tumor derail me. When I got to 29 pounds, I was so tired, I just collapsed. Everything always goes back to being grounded and centered. It's a mecca for cycling, for sure. Struggle is the neutralizing force. And I said, there it is. This is the right family. I'm, I got like cold chills. It's one lone oak tree right in the middle of the trail. It's beautiful. Hey, welcome back, everybody. I hope you've had a great week since the last time that we got together. I'm really pleased to present an episode with my friend, Dr. Stacy Bettencourt of Four Winds ADR Coaching and Consulting, formerly known as B&B Life Solutions Coaching and Consulting. There, she practices divorce arbitration, mediation, and coaching that's designed specifically for the needs of individuals who are going through the difficult process of divorce. She's also a trauma coach and assists individuals in breaking the cycle of trauma that can form habits that are counterproductive. And as a certified life coach, she partners with corporations, individuals, and families in order to overcome deficiencies that keep her clients from reaching their full potential. She's also an English language arts teacher and a longtime friend of mine since childhood. So I'm happy to bring you part one of our talk that covers a number of topics, including eating disorders, parenting trauma. So please be aware that there might be some triggers here. We also talk about overcoming those traumas and finding the why through fitness, forgiveness, and self-love. So please grab a cuppa and join us in this first of a two-part In the Company of Friends talk with Dr. Stacy Bettencourt. I started doing TikToks. I just did a couple, but I find that in the Jeep, and I'm just going to call it like car talk, but I don't want someone to think it's a geeky car show or some, you know, not a geeky car show, but you know, so like, hmm, maybe I need to come up with something. But when you drive, like you kind of get into your own head, especially if you're going to the same place over and over again, like work, you know, right. So there's got to be a word associated with that, like filtered driving thoughts or, or unfiltered driving deep thoughts. thoughts into the deep thoughts from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, what sparked it is I was waiting to go into a professional development at the high school because we have to meet with them every so often mm-hmm. and I hate it. So it was like, I really don't want to be here. I don't. And it was dealing with that idea that I could go in with the mindset that I don't want to be here. Do not. And it would reflect and I can, you know, fake it till I make it kind of thing and see what happens there. Just that, that moment of this is something on my mind and I don't know what to do about it. And I think, and and the thing with that is, is that you have, you know, different mindsets of people and different understandings where those of us, because I feel in so many ways, you and I are very much alike just by your creativity and your writings. I don't, 
write a lot online because I'm still working on so many projects in my head. Great. <laughs> mm, but it's it's seeking the truth. I, I'm a very much a why person. I need to understand the whys. As a student, when I was younger, if I didn't understand the why, my brain was shut down. And I need to, to understand the why. And it's funny because lately I've been working on the iFit treadmill and I have the upper grade one because I killed the last one. And it's got the trainers and the simulations and so many of them keep drawing back to what is your why? And I've never, you know, the first time I heard it, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I started hearing it more and more by their trainers. And I'm thinking, okay, what is my why? And as soon as I did that, and I have a friend who is very metaphysical, I've watched her journey go from, you know, being very timid and crying easy to this true aura of herself. We went to Palm Springs and she really like worked on me a little bit. And the second I did, people are calling me now. You know, I, I just mediated my first divorce. It was probably one of the more difficult divorces. And I felt like for the first time in my life, and I love teaching, but this, I felt like I was born to do. And it was a trip and a half all the way through. And I, you know, it's just, it, it, it was a fascinating thing, but the why, the why, why are we doing this? Why are you thinking this way? What makes you, you know, why are you going this path? And, and I think that having that why personality is so great. And that's a question that I ask myself regularly, you know, um, I think that another way of framing that is that when you find meaning in something, that's where you find purpose. And from purpose, you derive contentment. And I think that meaning and purpose are, in a nutshell, the why, mm-hmm. when you find that. And so I'm, I am, I'm always looking for, um, and I think the older I get to, like, why am I here? You know, I look back at all of my experiences in life, and I just think all of those things what kind of mark did I leave on the world? Did I make any change? How can I tweak things to leave a better mark behind, to create a better impact on others, to actually use my talents to do the things that I'm supposed to be doing? How do I reach that why? And what exactly is it? So I I think it's a lifelong journey, really, because as you start to reach part of it, then other parts become obvious that you need to work on them. Right. And the thing is, is that we try to live our life, you know, never having to say, what if we've done this way? I mean, granted, we were not able to have children, which gave us a a freedom. And, you know, we went feast and famine financially in 1999. We nearly lost everything. And we had to file bankruptcy on two homes. Um, complete financial breakdown. And, you know, there are times in my marriage where I thought, you know what, this is not worth, you know, there are some things that my husband did that, you know, he made a choice and I acted so, I guess the word is so lamb-like. And he's learning who I am now and he's also coming to terms with the fact that um, my what I want to do with my life, Big Bear, is not the place. Living here is beautiful, but 
this was his choice. This was his dream. It was not my dream. I am very much a beach girl, even though I can't swim, but <laughs> I need water. We'll go swimming together. We'll, we'll, yep. you'll learn how to swim and we'll have a great conversation. <laughs> I would love that. And I'm, I'm serious. I need to come down. And, and the thing is, is that my in-laws, I no longer really give them anything because I have given so much of myself and sacrificed so much of myself. I don't want to go down and see them. And, you know, I live there too. I have memories. I mean, rites of passage. I mean, how many of us stupidly, when we got cars, drove Portuguese Ben with no headlights on? Because it was the thrill thing to do. All those dumb things, but there are memories. And all his family did, he grew up watching television. That's what they did. So I'm on fall break this week. Um, I've already made plans to very privately figure out a day to go down by myself and leave my mother's ashes. Oh, and wow. my brother double, double dog dared me because um, I live near Roseanne. I live just down the street from her. She, in fact, she was my very first friend as a child. Oh, and I didn't know that. Yeah, but I was her first friend. I remember playing on her slide in her backyard. Oh, that's sweet. But, um, my brother dare, double dog dared me to run past our old house with a handful of my mom's ashes and throw them in our yard. <laughs> and I'm like, I am not going to end up on somebody's ring camera. <laughs> oh my God. Throwing yeah. dust right I around am, Halloween. <laughs> right. I'm like, I am not doing that. <laughs> oh my God. That would be terrible. You know, oh. I have this really funny story which is not really my story, but I had this boyfriend way long ago and his best friend, there was like this whole group of kids that grew up and they were best friends and they would go to this one kid's house all the time. That was the place where all the kids met. They grew up, they went through college together, still hanging out at that house whenever they got together. And the dad was like such a big part of these boys' lives. And he was kind of like, everybody's second dad. And when he passed away, he was cremated and they would go camping all the time at a particular spot out there in uh, Pennsylvania. And so they got together that summer, all of the boys went out and they were going to go camping. They were going to have beers for the dad and kind of celebrate his life and spread his ashes in the forest there where he loved to camp and everybody, you know, it, it was just like such a good memory for everybody. That's where they wanted to put them. And I think that the dad had asked for this. And as they're spreading the ashes, along comes a ranger. They got a ticket for littering. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that would be my luck. No, I plan on sitting in the sand and stare blissfully into the ocean. While out of my backpack, I take handfuls of my mother. Um, but, um, it, I mean, it's hard. And for me, neither, I, there was no love with my parents. They were not good parents. They were highly selfish. Um, and we didn't matter. So, yeah. Um, and I'm, you know, it's funny cause someone recently asked me, well, have you cried yet? I said, cried. Well, yeah, but what are you talking about? About your mother? I said, no, there, 
there is nothing there. She made choices in her life, and we suffered the consequence. I'm sorry she died. I'm sorry of what she died for. Um, but it, I did my due diligence, and I moved on. And if that makes me cold-hearted, then so be it. But I have to do what's right for me. And I have, I, you know, I have my feelings and I'm entitled to them. And not everyone, like when my grandmother died, I deeply, deeply loved my grandmother. I was very much like her. And my mother had nothing but hatred for her mother. And when her mother died, she had this fake crying thing. I'm like, but you talk smack about her her whole life. Why are you crying? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that can be really confusing for kids too. Just going back to the, the TV thing, I'm really surprised at the number of people who have never seen parts of Los Angeles, have never been to the forest, have never been on a hike. And I think that, um, you know, yesterday I was talking about how society is really centered around the gregarity of alcohol. You know, like alcohol yeah. is clearly not a good thing. We see the people in our lives who are addicted to it, who can't just drink a glass of wine. They have to drink the whole bottle. You know, they're passed right. out drunk and sloppy in the corner. And so we do see the effects of it. And we don't like it, but as a society, it's almost like inextricable. It's such a necessary part of every gathering of just about everything. And I think, you know, television is another one of those, just like social media is like, there's a lot of things that we become very dependent on for our entertainment that keeps us from actually living in the world. And, um, I don't think it was until after my divorce and I started dating. And how do you date nowadays? Right. You know, it has to be online. So I would go on these online dating sites and I talk to people. And it was funny because, of course, on my profile, it said, you know, that I liked cooking and gardening and hiking and I loved animals and I liked snorkeling and stand up paddleboarding and kayaking and all of this outdoor stuff bicycling and not just one one guy but several guys were like you know 99% of the girls on here like to hike and so I did go on a couple of dates that were hiking dates and the guys were like huffing and puffing and they're like oh my god like you know but their profile said it was like I love all of this outdoor stuff and I'm like oh that's awesome you know like we could go hiking we can do all of this fun stuff and then I was kicking their butts doing all of this. Right. But what I learned in talking to these guys was that a lot of them spent their time at home. There were several who had never gone two miles from their home to a perfectly beautiful hike. You know, it's like, do wow. you know I drive all the way out here like at least three or four times a year just to take this trail that is 15 minutes from your house and you don't even know about it. Um, right. There was another guy where, you know, I was like, let's meet up at Eaton Canyon. And I'm getting like all of these texts the night before, like, 
what kind of shoes should I wear? Should I wear shorts? Should I wear pants? You know, like, do you know where you're going? I don't want to be the person that's in the paper the next day because we got lost. I don't want the search committee to be coming out to look for, I'm like, it's Eaton Canyon. You can't literally not get lost. I mean, you know, but they're not aware of this. And I think that having that dependence on television is, a detriment, you know, I, I was, I was just surprised because I'm such an outdoors person, but it is a thing. I know. And, and you know, that's the thing. I, my husband, okay. He, this was his dream to live here. He was a YMCA camp kid and a YMCA camp counselor. And he always swore he'd live here. We've lived here off and on since 2004. I started hiking with some teachers nearby because I've never done any of the hike. And I finally got him out a couple of times, but I really believe that TV is such an addiction. It's bad for your brain. I mean, we know that Alzheimer's can be associated. It's so highly addictive and so damaging to the brain. I mean, my my PhD was in advanced studies of social human behavior, and I studied the brain development from birth to death. You have to walk around the block. We have all of this at our disposal. And we're not using it. But our lake is so disgusting, I won't go near it. (laughs) So it's not (laughs) hard. I mean, again, I'm not a swimmer, but, you know, it's, it's, it's so different and it's gross and, you know, it's got the algae. The bubbly stuff, you know. Yeah. One of my friends has a cabin up there. You know, my girls, weekend girls that Mm -hmm. we go and do crazy stuff. And I'm not sure when we're going to do crazy stuff again, because 2020 just really put a wrench in things for everybody. And somehow that the girls weekend has suffered. But we went up a couple of times to Big Bear. We did Big Bear weekends and did a hike where we took one of the ski lifts up to the top. That was a lot of fun. And then we hiked down. And another time we did uh, kayaking across the lake, like the long way, because it's kind of an oblong shaped lake. And so Mm -hmm. we took that. I was just like, I don't know. I think I'm going to be dead tomorrow. We all thought the same thing, but we did it anyway. And when we got to the far side of the lake, you know, you have to shore up your boat which means that you ram it into the shore as far up as you can by paddling in. And then you got to get out. And usually that means you got to get your feet wet. Yeah. (laughs) We were in the duckweed. It was so disgusting. It was like, like I looked down and I could see this green scum on top of the water. And I'm like, okay, taking the shoes off because it's, I don't care that they're water shoes and that you can wash them. This is just going to be gross. So I stepped into it barefoot and it was like going through, I'm trying like whipped cream. It was like stepping into whipped cream up to my ankles and all of this bubbling. You could see even before I stepped in all of this fermenting bubbling stuff coming up. And I was just like, okay, somewhere this is a beauty treatment at some spa <laughs> like, you know, like, um, just think about it you like that. Tell yourself that. <laughs> and, and you know that's the thing is that because it is a reservoir it was literally made as a gravity water holding for the orange groves down down the mountain and it's tragic 
I know. It's so hard. It's really hard to get exercise and, you know, get out and do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's kind of like this vicious circle because you're tired. So you sit down to watch something and it's not exactly what you want to watch, but because you're tired, you just get into kind of like that, that numbness, I guess, you know, where I'm just going to sit here because I'm tired, but the TV does make you more tired as well. And then that keeps you from, because you're spending so much time thinking about how tired you are and trying to do something to alleviate that, that now you don't have the time to get out and do all of the fun outdoor stuff that's around you. Right. Do you ski in the winter? I do not. So I don't do, my only um, trials at skiing were not good in my earlier days. So it just never worked out for me. And I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. I have other things that I do instead. So yeah, it never really worked out for me. I don't ski, I don't snowboard. But now that I'm into a lot of physical challenges, I do those instead. Right, right. I know you do some good runs, right? Yes, I do. Um, I definitely do. And I, um, like I've decided I'm going to take on the Everest challenge where it's going to be hard. <laughs> it's going to challenge me, but I, you know, I know I have one more marathon in me before I stick to halves and I definitely want to do this Everest challenge. So what does that entail? What it entails is the organization takes over ski resorts in Colorado and you climb up gondola down. So it's like I did the wall not that long ago where we went up snow summit and then you take the ski lift down. Mm-hmm. But you have 36 hours to continually do this until you've reached the exact height of Everest. And oh. it's all mental. It's all physical. And at least I have a training site. I can go ahead and do the wall for training. Mm -hmm. So that's my, that's what I want to do. And um, there's a couple of really big steep hills here that I can train on, but not steep enough to equal Everest. But you know, at least it keeps the muscles in hill climbing going. Right. So that's what I plan to do. It's called the 2929. Wow. So yeah. And uh, it's going to be challenging, really challenging. But I'm down for it. Why not, right? Oh, totally. Totally. I know those challenges. I think that, you know, we get so much out of them. I did a half marathon and it was a real challenge. The The marathon was in the rain. It started pouring oh. on us. One of the biggest storms came through along the coast and I just remember thinking, oh, this is going to be a complete disaster. And we were so cold. Everybody was standing there in shorts and singlets, you know, which was, it was way too cold for that. So somebody started passing out garbage bags and people were popping holes in them and putting them over their heads. And it keeps you warm. It's like a little incubator because all your body heat gets trapped in there and none of the wind can get through because it's impermeable. So That was really wonderful. And then we started running. And then, of course, you start sweating. So off go the trash bags. And there were lots of really wonderful volunteers that were picking them up. And there were, you know, also trash cans along the way where you could stuff them in. Um, But 
once you're wet, you're wet, you know, and then you just, you just run and it was glorious. I just thought it was, you know, it's one of the best body experiences that I've ever had, you know, just running and having the rain fall on me and being in my own thoughts. And it, it was a beautiful track. It went past some estuaries and all of the birds came out. There were like flocks of cranes and snowy white egrets and whatnot i mean like huge flocks of them and it was just kind of like oh this is okay i could definitely do this but when i was done my muscles kind of seized up i i just couldn't the bus showed up we were standing in the rain waiting for the bus for quite a bit the bus finally showed up to take us back to the hotel and i couldn't even lift my leg up to get on that first step and i thought I'm not going to be able to get out of bed tomorrow. Next morning, I was fine. Totally fine. Right. You know, it's it's really crazy how your body recovers when you've trained for it. Right. And, you know, it's funny. Um, you can always tell because I've done the LA Marathon three out of my, my all three of my marathons. And you can always tell a newbie versus the established because we're either wearing those disposable rain things that you can you know get at CBS for you know a couple bucks. Or you're wearing garbage bags because Dodger Stadium is horrifically freezing in the morning. Mm-hmm. The beach air, the cement, it's literally freezing. And yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. You know, you, you never realize how plastic can <laughs> change your life. Yeah, it's almost a good idea to keep a couple of trash bags in your car for emergency purposes. Yeah. Like you never know. Oh, yeah. And then we've kept every miler blanket that you're given after an event in our cars. So every vehicle we have, we have those readily available because those will definitely help too. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, pretty crazy. Especially Big Bear in the winter, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it happens. All you need is for one vehicle to not be prepared and Onyx Summit or across the way, it gets, you suddenly there's a pileup and they can't get you out. Mm -hmm. So it's a true issue. And people have been stuck. Oh, my gosh. You know, that happened to me. I was at Mount Baldy. It snowed that morning. It wasn't like freezing cold or anything, but it snowed that morning. So there was some fresh powder. I took my cousin with me. He'd never been skiing. And so I was like, hey, you know, I'll get us lift tickets and we'll do the bunny hills. It'll be a lot of fun. And on the way back, you know, it's all those hairpin curves to get up to and then back down from Mount Baldy from the top of it. And the sun came out and it started working on the ice on the road. People were sliding all over the place. In fact, my car started to slide and I had chains on the tires and then everybody just stopped. There was just this pile up like you literally could not drive down this hill because of the, the sliding was so bad. And then the sun started to break up that ice so that several cars ended up on their own block of ice and started sliding into each other. And it was just this pile up where everybody was bumper to bumper to bumper. And we had to wait for the fire department to come up. And and then it was like, you know, firemen coming up and telling us how to drive forward so that we weren't taking a block of ice with us and going off the hill. Right. Yeah, people don't understand the, the dangers. Um, you know, a lot of times people will p- park on the ice at the ski resorts because that's what you're parking on. Mm-hmm. And you come out and your car is now against someone else's car. 
right? Because the car is slid because the ice melted. So you have those dynamics and you're like, uh, yeah, you parked on ice, the car slid into you or you slid into them. They didn't park on top of you. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. It's kind of scary when you're driving in a place that you're not accustomed to. I mean, when I see those black ice signs anywhere, um, any of the mountain roads around us, I'm always like, oh, that's scary. <laughs> like, what if I drive? How, yeah. how am I going to know if I'm driving over that? And that's the thing is that black ice is such a misnomer because it literally looks like it's wet. That's it. It's just wet. It's not till you're on it and your car is now out of control. And I, I always will slow down and then take my, my foot off the accelerator and just cruise right over it Mm -hmm. because you don't know. And you know, sometimes it is just wet pavement and other times it's black ice. Uh, We lived in Utah and it was a skating rink. So I've driven in a lot of different conditions, whiteout. um, I think whiteout is more terrifying than black ice Mm -hmm. just because I know it's going to, you know, you, what to do when you're in, you know, white out conditions, you can be as safe as can be, but suddenly you come up and you're on the back end of someone's car. Or but somebody yeah. comes up on you, right? Exactly. It's a, it's a responsibility. It is. That was another one that happened to me going up to Big Bear one year. Um, I had to work that day. And so the girls were already up in Big Bear. And I told them, you know, I'll meet you guys up there a little bit later. I'm heading up Rim of the World Highway and it starts to rain and it's like already getting dark. I I think the sun had already set. There was just a little bit of blush in the sky. And then I start seeing these gauzy ribbons going across my windshield. And I'm like, what is that? That's so weird. Is there a fire or something? And then I was in such dense fog on this scary road that I could go off the edge any minute. I couldn't see anything. I could barely see my windshield wipers. And I didn't even want to pull over to the side because I was like, I'm going to go off this road. And so I looked down at the double yellow line out my side window. And I just got as close to that double yellow as I could. And um, somehow, literally by the grace of God, I got to the cabin, but I, I couldn't see signs. You know, like it felt like I had been on that road for an eternity because I was going like 10 miles an hour or something. And there were no other cars. I was worried somebody was going to hit me. I was worried I was going to just plow into something in front of me. And I just kept thinking, as long as I'm against these yellow lines, I should be okay. There shouldn't be anything around me. But, you know, you never know. And the girls, they they were getting ready to get in their cars to come and find me. But they were like, we don't even know where you are. They kept calling me. And I'm like, I, I don't even know where I am on this road. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to see you guys tonight, you know. No, it's and and that area right there is through Running Springs is so bad because the clouds just bounce right off the side of the mountain, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful sight as you come down below the you know at the fog line and you can see it's just an ocean of clouds. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous and it's stunning, stunning, but it's treacherous, and you know Big Bear. Once you get up above it, then it's not you know you're you're out of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's you know flashers on and 
exactly what you did. You just follow the the yellow lines and just hope for the best. I know. Because, uh, yeah, you, I mean, literally, that's what you do. That was terrifying. And on the way back, I noticed the fog was starting to come in again. And I was like, oh, my God, I got to get out of here before that happens again. <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah. Post-traumatic stress disorder with that one. I mean, my gosh, really, I just, you know, if it's foggy outside, I don't want to be driving in it. No. And it, and that's the thing is that it's a, it's a toughie. And when you live up here, you, I mean, I, I don't like it because you, you really do feel out of control with your, you know, with what's going on. You can be the safest driver on the planet, but that's not to stop a coyote from running in front of your car. And, you know, you break and then you end up in a slide and there's nothing you can do that. Exactly. Do. So it's uh it's a tough one. It really is. You know, sometimes I, I think to myself, it's beautiful, but there are other beautiful places I could be living. It's, it's a true commitment to live here. And it's mountain living. Right, know? right. <laughs> I think it's, so. it's one of those places where you want to have the cabin for when you want to get away. And, and you know, especially when you grow up in Los Angeles. Even living by the beach like I do, it's still kind of congested. You know, it's not as congested as other places in Los Angeles can get. But there are a lot of conveniences, you know, like you start to miss the fact that you could get any kind of cuisine five minutes from your home. Right. You know, just, just all the different places that you could go to. You know, I can get in my car and go to downtown Los Angeles and be there in half an hour when there's no traffic, you know, but really right. even with traffic, it's going to be like 45 minutes unless there's a big accident or something. Exactly. So um, I often think about that because I'm like, I want to move out into the country where my nearest neighbor is four miles away on either side. And then it's like, you know, I end up in some place like that because I'm driving through and it's like, can I really live out here? I don't think so. <laughs> I think I think I would be like really happy with it for about a week and then I'd be like where is everybody? <laughs> right? And and that's the thing is that too is accessible roads. I think I could live in an environment like that as long as there's accessible roads, but like this mountain road, you've got inexperienced people driving way too fast and they're so aggressive. And yes, I'll admit there have been times that I used to be and then I started to think for myself that what if I'm behind this slow car because I don't know what's coming? And if I'm fast, could that be my demise? And it's not driving with fear, but it's driving with the thought of I'm supposed to be behind this person. So I'm just going to chill. Yeah. Well, you know what I always think about is what if the person in front of me is a young kid just trying to figure out how to drive or what if it's an elderly person or somebody who's never driven a car in the United States, you know, just right. trying to navigate our roads. So I just put the empathy in there. But I think that being that close to Los Angeles, having all the power vehicles that we saw, <laughs> I used to work in automotive, as you know, and yeah. I worked at a place where Dodge vehicles were sold and they were the power cars that you see in 
the fast and the furious and it was right around the time that that movie came out and we had a lot of sales because everybody wanted to charge her everybody wanted to challenge her it was kind of like part of their persona and you're watching these aggressive movies these cars can go so fast and i'm like and they're getting right onto a packed freeway where they're not going to be able to go more than 20 miles an hour but I think that there's a lot that contributes to the road rage and just that that need for speed, you know, I mean, just even going back to the Dukes of Hazard days and stuff, you know, it was just portrayed as the thing that you do and you do you get behind the wheel of, you know, some powerful car and you want to see what it can do. And now you're on these windy roads and, and it is a recipe for disaster. Like you said, and then I've been going, I go up the mountain sometimes and you get these young kids and these vehicles that are way too much power. And as the vehicle passes you, because you have your windows open for the summertime, you can smell the heat coming off of this car because they have pushed it to the limit. And it's, it's not where a director yells cut. You can seriously die or worse I have seen accidents that have just, I mean, it just, you don't forget and you don't want to look, but you have no choice because you're right there. And I've seen the accordion cars, seen, come on to scene around a corner seconds after a head on. And my husband pointed out, well, you know, that can happen anywhere. Yeah, it can. But I've seen it too much at this intersection. In the winter, We don't take that intersection because there is the danger of the ice. You're coming downhill and the road is a hazard. It should have been sloped a lot differently. And the engineers who did it are not from the mountains and has always been find the cheapest bid and go with it. I think everywhere is like that though. I mean, it it really is. Um, I remember another time we were over on the Wawona side, we decided to do a trail ride and we were crossing one of the big highways that's on that side. And as we're crossing eight, 10 horses, somebody came up that road going a million miles an hour and our guide had his horse stationed on the yellow line, like to kind of protect us and was waving at this guy. And I'm like, Oh my God, we're going to go out. The horses are going to go out. The guy actually, he skidded so hard to a stop. You know, there was smoke coming off of his back tires and he kind of went on a slant but he stopped. And then I thought now there's going to be like horses galloping off in fear over this. Like, thank God they were like really good horses. And we got across the road. But you know, like as we're walking past, all of us gave this guy like a really dirty look. I don't know if it made any difference in the way that, you know, he continued to drive, but he almost took out 10 horses and, and all of the riders on him. So um, I, I really don't think that it's endemic of, Big Bear, I think it's just, you know, an epidemic that happens across probably not just Los Angeles. You guys are San Bernardino County. It's just put people behind a wheel and everybody turns into a different person. You know, there's something about that. And, um, and it's really interesting. I don't really think that that's ever going to change. I I just think people get in their cars and it just becomes one of those things where it's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Well, yeah, 
And and that's the thing is we've all done stupid things. And the thing is, is most of us grow up and realize. I know. Um, I wanted to get to your journey into fitness and continued fitness. We kind of touched upon that a little bit, but I know that there was a certain point where you were like, all right, I'm going to really get all of this together and it, you know, I'm going to get the diet component in here and I'm going to get the exercise component in here. And I'm just going to incorporate this as a core part of my life. And it really resonated with you. Like, what was the trigger to that? Because I know so many of us struggle with our weights, we struggle with our energy, we struggle with trying to move and just incorporate that type of stuff into our lives. And when we don't, we beat ourselves up. It's kind of, you know, another one of those vicious cycles where it's like, I should be exercising. I shouldn't be eating this donut. I should be, but I'm too tired to exercise. And I really want this, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be a donut, whatever the trigger, sugar, fat, or greasy trigger is. Um, What was the thing that ignited your passion to, or at least started your passion into fitness? Um, For me, it had been a lifelong battle. I developed eating disorders when I was in seventh grade. Um, I had always gone up and down with my weight. At one point, I was a dancer as a young girl. And then um, things took off in my life that were out of my control, choices my parents made. Uh, I became kind of that in-between trappedness. Uh, I was a thicker child. I was overweight. Um, at times, I was obese. Um, and I hung around friends that were tiny, cute. I was, you know, I constantly heard these girls being told they were pretty. They dressed, you know, in all the designer clothes, which my family couldn't afford. And... Um, I thought, you know, to me, it was taking a control over something and it carried me. um, I was both anorexic and bulimic. I did both practices. Um, I would lose weight. I would lose a lot of weight and then I would gain it all back. Um, Went into stage two kidney failure over this. Oh, my gosh. Um, I didn't know that. And yeah, no one did. Um, It was, you know, I I punished myself for going too far. Well, how do you punish yourself? You gain weight and then you lose it. And then, um, you know, just I did the laxatives. I did all those things. And it really became a mindset. It became, it was definitely an addiction. my, I would say my lowest point, I was probably about 20, 1920. And it became a quest to see how many laxatives I can swallow in one handful. Oh my gosh. And it was bad. And because my mother did not believe that I had a problem, it was, um, she did find laxatives. We had a connection to Karen Carpenter that we didn't know her personally. We did have a connection. There was a family connection, mm-hmm. um, kind of relatives of relatives. And my mother found my laxatives. And the only comment she made is, you're going to die just like Karen did. Mm-hmm. 
And it was like, you know, when you're that age and you're in that addiction of fighting to be thin, you don't care. That's not the way to fix it. And, you know, being told if you had a brain, you'd be dangerous. So do you think that your, um, your weight gain and loss was, was a response to what was going on externally? Definitely. Most definitely. Um, so there's all of that that came into play and, um, it still carried through. And there was one point in my life that I became a fitness walker, did my first marathon as a fitness walker. And it, it still didn't resonate. It still didn't like become part of who I am. Um, until I found out that I had developed a meat allergy. It's really bizarre. But at that point, it limited my food choices. Yeah. Really? Uh, It was, it was killing my liver and it wasn't just fatty liver disease. It was, my liver was dying at an exponential rate and I do drink, but I am not anyone that overindulges, but I did have meat in my diet. There was a lot of things that were done and it was determined that I need to stay away from meat. Um, most meat byproducts. Uh, the last thing I can actually eat without sickness is cheese and eggs. Mm -hmm. That's it. Anything else? I mean, after that, it's completely a vegan pescatarian diet. And was part of that due to the diet cycle that you were exposing your body to for so long? They don't know. They really don't know. It's possible, but it is, it's becoming a little more frequent with people developing the meat allergies. But for me, I'm on a different I guess a different factor because of the damage I did to my body during my time of active eating disorders that I have a different paradigm. So they, they really don't know if finally my body just said enough of everything that's bad uh, or not great for your body. And then I realized uh, my mom had moved in Alzheimer's dementia, going through my dissertation with my doctorate. I was a mess and I started gaining weight again. I thought, you know what? Enough is enough. What can I do for myself that honors my body, helps my mindset, gives me energy. And it all went back to the fitness walking I used to do. And I realized how much joy I got from crossing the finish line. My first marathon, I fitness walked and I trotted. And the second one, I trotted and jogged a little. My third one, I ran the whole thing. Wow. And I came in 39 minutes past what I wanted to, but I was so proud of myself. And I realized I can do this. This gives me the same feeling of control that I had during my eating disorders, but it's not manic. I get so much joy. And yes, I did go through a bit of over competition with myself, resulted in a couple of injuries. And I realized, okay, I don't have to run a marathon or try to run a race every time I get on the treadmill or if I run in my neighborhood, I can run for joy. I love working out. I I spend my workouts now with floor exercises where I stretch my body. I work with weights and then I get to run. And that's the difference. 
I don't have to run. I get to run. And that drives me. Like this week, I didn't get to run but one day. I didn't get a workout in except for one day this week. And I am not freaking out over it. I'm going to work out today and I'm going to feel great. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. It's taking control of yourself and eating disorders like any addiction is a control factor, but it can be a positive and it can be a negative. In this case, it's absolutely a positive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard to get to that point where you start viewing food as something that you just eat when you're hungry rather than eating it just because it's there, which is what, you know, contributes to weight gain or viewing food as something that you have to have control over. And so you don't eat it, um, which is the other side of the weight battle that you were talking about. Um, So, and then I also get a lot of uh, support from a philanthropy organization called my P challenge, Mm -hmm. just being surrounded, even though this is through social media, sometimes we have gatherings in Southern California because there's a, a chapter here but it's a worldwide organization of people who just, it's not necessarily fitness. It can be, you know, just challenges, challenging yourself in a positive way. And I have found a lot of support, love, kindness at the same time, which furthers my mindset of, you know what, there are good people out there that go through personal struggles and finding a common ground which has helped me a lot. Mm -hmm. It's also a great way to release stress, to cope with the things that are going on in your mind. And it's not a solitary form of exercise, but it's an individual form of exercise, which is to say that you're not working on being part of a team. You're working on becoming better than you were last time. And so you're on your own, you're running the road, and that allows you to get in your head and really process things because different parts of your brain are activated when you run. You've got different hormones that are going through there, which kind of allows you to really introspect into or, you know, set into a better perspective the things that are going on in your life and figuring out, you know, okay, well, I can get rid of this. I don't have to deal with that. Or, you know, this is not as big of an issue as it is and move on. And then it also puts you in a better place when you're done. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. You know, I love that I can get lost in my thoughts. I mentally write before I sit down and write. And when I'm out running, you know, especially outside running, um, I mentally write a lot. And I, I have, you know, my mind drifts. Sometimes I pretend. Sometimes I... I think about problems. Sometimes I think about things that I want to do. How am I going to do it? It allows me my time. And now it's such a sacred time for me that I I won't give it up for anybody. Mm -hmm. And it's important when I miss it, you know, and again, like last week was crazy week at school. I hosted the career day for the entire school. It was my responsibility start to finish. It was parent teacher conference week. I had, three clients from my practice and, and not being able to work out, something had to give. And usually I don't skip that appointment because that's a really important appointment, but I'm okay with it. Cause it's like, well, you know what? The week's over. 
No more conferences. I have an entire week off. I'm going to get joy getting free time whenever I want during the day to work out. Yeah, yeah. And you have to get to that point where you can reconcile it. And and it just brings me to wanting to talk about forgiveness because, you know, you're talking about your mom and you're going to spread her ashes this coming week in in places that she probably really loved. And so you're honoring her. But at the same time, you acknowledge these painful memories And I think that probably part of your life coaching, probably part of your mediation is working with people so they can move forward from that, which involves reconciliation and forgiveness. It doesn't require forgetting, but how do you get there? How do I get there? Um, You know, what's interesting is because so much of who I am is because of my parents, good, bad, ugly. You know, it's interesting is that I accepted a long time ago that my parents should never have been parents. They were people who were internally both just selfish, but at the same time, they questioned their own abilities. They did not find them. Either one of them did not see themselves as being worthy. So they were a contradiction of each themselves. I realized in getting my PhD specifically that I've moved on in my mom's side of the family in the immediate family there are no doctors on my father's side in the I believe the entire entire going back to the 1800s there have never been any professionals so I think what I realized is that I achieved something for myself and I was good at it and I didn't need the validation. Both of my parents, they never, you know, they went through life not knowing what life could be. And I don't hold any ill will, but at the same time, I don't hold any love either. My step parents were more parents to me than my actual parents. And I, I cherish that because I did have parental role models. And I know that my stepfather Ironically, he died a month to almost to the day that my father did. And the contrast was very clear. My stepfather proudly wore a Citrus College dad shirt. And he, you know, he had a sweatshirt, he had a t-shirt. He wore them with pride. Any way he could fit it into the conversation that his oldest daughter was going to college and she was going to go on this academic path, um, he talked about. My stepmom is still alive. We're in and out of out of contact. It's not that we ignore each other. It's just we both have lives that don't always intertwine. But I know that if something were to come down, she'd be there. And, and I would definitely be there if she needed me. You know, and, and it's okay. I, I've learned to realize that I did not have to follow the same path as my parents and that It was their own inhibitions and their own lack of confidence that they couldn't see what I was actually capable of. So I've let that bitterness go. So it's, it's kind of like through understanding, I guess, in a way, having some empathy for the person that's hurt you so that you can understand that they are separate from you and that you don't have to 
accept what they were projecting towards you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was capable of until I put myself to the challenge. Yeah. And I haven't looked back and I, I won't look back because, you know, part of that trauma, you know, the things that had happened to me shaped me to who I am. And it took me a long time in my life to be comfortable in my skin. It took me even longer to develop a confidence that to me now is unshakable. And now, you know, because I, I found the confidence, it's like getting a piece of clay. You get the piece of clay in your hand and you smell it, you feel it, you squish it, you play with it, and then you build something with it. I'm, I'm now on the building and sharing. And the interesting part is the more that I put myself out there, the more good things are happening to me. And, you know, going through this, this journey has shown me so much. I needed to be ready for it. I wanted it, but I wasn't ready for it. And I didn't understand that at the time. I do now. And I'm not looking back, which is fantastic. I can only go ahead from here. The fact that I'm reaching a point where I'm looking at exiting, you know, my day career. It's not that I love teaching any less. It's not where I'm at anymore. And I'm ready for the next phase of my life. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get there. There's a sacrifice first. The sacrifice is very worth it because you're supposed to grow and change and embrace. And then you're ready. And, you know, that's, you know, I, I use that thought process and, and I use the analogy of training wheels. You, know, you can be happy with the training wheels. Training wheels are great. You don't have to think when you're with training wheels. You can just go. Well, you take one training wheel off and you've got to be a little more cautious. And then you take the other one off and you're really cautious. And then suddenly you realize, I can do this. And you could have done it all along. You just didn't know you could. Yeah. And now I know I can. I think that's why life coaching is so important. It's having the support that we need, the encouragement that we need, the validation that we need throughout our lives, whether it's parents who try, but clearly children are different people and it's not the right approach for that child or, you know, parents who don't try or bad life events that occur because life is a challenge, you know, and you've got to figure out how to get through it. It's just part of living. And life coaching can get you over those hurdles to remind you that everything you need is inside of you, you know, the confidence. Um, you know, it's really funny because I did this weird meditation. It was a guided meditation. And I was like, I don't know if I should do this. This might be opening up a can of worms that I don't want to deal with. It was getting in touch with your inner child. And I, you know, I finally thought I'm going to do that. And during that meditation, um, you were asked to imagine in your mind, walking through a doorway, out into a beautiful garden, and little you is there on the other side. And then walking towards your child self, taking your child's self's hand, 
being tender, loving, um, picking that child up and putting them on your lap and just letting them know that it's okay, that they're good people, that they're loved, etc. You know, I'm condensing this. And it was such an incredibly powerful meditation. I came upon it. I was, you know, meditating a lot at the time. And I thought, I'm going to try this one. And it took me a while, but it was really powerful to tell my child self what an amazing child she is and that everything's going to be okay. And I just think we hold on to intentional, unintentional slights. It's, you know, growing up is really hard, especially as a child, you don't have the experience and the knowledge and the tools to deal with the things that happen, whether, you know, again, whether intentional or not. I mean, sometimes it could just be somebody looked at you a certain way and you interpreted it with your own personal perspective that had nothing to do with the way that the person, you know, maybe that person was just lost in thought. And, and those are the things that mold us and, you know, the resentments that we hold on to. And I think that having somebody to talk to, having somebody to work through those moments, because life is so busy and we do need to be in the present and not look back, but those are also cliches because what's behind us is what's molding our response to what's in front of us. So I'm just really excited that this is the path that you chose and that you're making such a difference in so many people's lives. And some of what you were just talking about, I think, touched on the other thing that I wanted to talk about, which was gratitude. All of these, uh, these are all pieces to a puzzle to reaching a place where you can find contentment, right? The forgiveness, the understanding, the gratitude, the confidence, all of that builds up on itself and creates a more intentional life when you start becoming more mindful of it. And it's like all of these words that I'm using really are integral. They're essential to one another. You can't distill one from the other to create a better life, to you know, feel like you're, I'm living a good life. I'm making a difference. I found my meaning. I found my purpose. And I'm bringing joy to others. And that brings me joy. Mm-hmm. It's true. And, and that's the thing is I think we have to learn truly to forgive ourselves I caused myself a lot of hurt in the midst of the eating disorders, the the mental manic behaviors. There were suicide attempts, you know, and and those kind of go hand in hand um, because you're you're self damaging, whether it's long term or short term, you're self damaging. And I think it's letting go and truly looking at yourself. Of okay, that was yesterday. We're not proud of that but it has helped to build who I am. And if I could go back and tell that young adult who was in that situation and that teenager and say, look, it's bad right now. It's not a happy place, but you've got to keep your head down. You've got to stay focused because guess what? It's going to get amazing. And if I didn't go through that trauma, I really believe I would not appreciate where I am right now. 
and I wouldn't trade it for the world. The person I am today is because of that person yesterday. And I'm as grateful for her as I think she is of me, the person I am. There's a lot of need for that. Like you said, that forgiving your own self and being kind and gentle with yourself, because I think it's just important. You know, one of the things that I really love about this podcast is that it validates the fact that we're all experiencing many of the same things, you know, or we are all experiencing the same things just through a different lens. And there's a lot of shame which goes along with these traumatic events with eating disorders, with um, making bad parenting choices, partner choices, having to go through a divorce. You know, your student, don't tell Mrs. B because I don't want her to be ashamed of me. Um, We hold on to those things. We don't want to share them. And I think that, you know, it's really important to share the fact that you've gone through these things because it can give support to somebody else. It can give them the hope that they can move forward from here and get to a better place and also validate the fact that you have to work through it. You know, you can, you know, like you said, with your dad, you can hope all that you want that you're going to get something, but unless you put the effort in there, you're not going to get there. And I know that, you know, we get tired and feel despair in those moments. And it's like, you just have to keep going. And you will come out of this, everything changes, you know, it's just like the seasons, everything changes and got feast, you've got famine. And it sucks when your feast turns into famine. But what a surprise it is when your famine turns into feast again. I I just think that, you know, we need to really acknowledge that kind of stuff because things are not static. They're dynamic. They're constantly changing. They're constantly moving. New people are coming into your life. New situations are coming in. There's always a change. And if you're looking for the opportunities and if you're moving towards your goal with every change, you will eventually get there. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, there's nothing wrong with having dreams and there's nothing wrong with not fulfilling your dreams because not every dream is good for you. Mm -hmm. The journey is such a beautiful thing. And I love the word journey. It's one of my favorite words because we are all on a journey and we all come in and out of each other's lives and we don't know what for. I mean, look at us. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, that's, you know, we're all on this, this journey called life and what we do with it can be fulfilling. You never know. You just don't know what life's going to throw at you. And that's what the adventure of the journey is all about, right? You know, you just absolutely, absolutely need to make the best choices you can as you move forward. So um, I'm, I'm glad that we made the choice to remain friends all of these years. Great through the thick and thin of it and um, the feast and famine of it, because you leave high school and you don't see a lot of people for a long time, but it's really awesome that we've been able to reunite. And, and I love that. I think it's awesome. You know, I love it as much as I love you. So. um, Well, it's mutual. Definitely mutual. I always ask at the end of a call, if you had one thing that you wanted to share with the world, what would it be? 
one thing that I would share with the world is you really do have the power to change your life. And the journeys that you take in between are what shape you. If you don't let education change you, you know, what's it all for? So that's kind of where I'm going to go. You know, it's, I think I've learned so much from every bad experience that has helped me enjoy every good experience that much more. And that's my advice is just learn. It's a, it's a journey. It's an education. Learn for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if people want to get a hold of you to work with you through your life coaching, through the counseling, the mediation, um, and anything else that you have out there, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you? We are working, re- redoing our website, so they can definitely reach out through my business phone number. That's 909-733-2346, and I'm available to them. Perfect. And would you suggest that they go to your website at all? Uh, the website's fine. It's um, Right now, it's under uh, B&B Life Solutions. It's searchable on Google. Um, it's a, it's the, it's the basic bones. It's our, our first, uh, site that came out under our prior name. We are now known as four wins ADR coaching and consulting. Um, but our, my basic bio is there. What we offer, it's still a manageable workable site. You can send us messages directly through there. You know, so there's, that is absolutely available want to come out with our new name, but it's perfect order. (laughs) Okay. And will that site eventually roll over, like direct them to the new site? Absolutely. And, you know, we're also looking at entertaining the possibility of just upping our site and making some alterations to it. So um, we might keep that original site going at the same time and then um, have the other logistical site under four wins ADR coaching and consulting. Okay. And that's F O U R W I N D S. Yes. I love catching up with you and hearing all of this stuff that you're doing and, you know, the bright future that's ahead of you and your continuous journey as a student of life. I think that, you know, keeping that curiosity alive is so important. Never stop learning. Yeah. Never stop testing yourself. Ooh, we dove right into those deep philosophical questions of trying to understand who we each are, finding that purpose and meaning and why by examining and connecting our various experiences and learning to embrace the journey. I hope that this episode has inspired you to exercise more and minimize those sedentary distractions from not only the beauty around you, but the opportunity to build your adventure. I also hope that it's inspired you to forgive yourself, love yourself more, and reconcile those experiences that in whole have created the unique and amazing person that you are. So please be sure to come back next week to listen to part two of my talk with Dr. Stacey Betancourt. The links for getting in touch with Dr. Betancourt, everything that we talked about will be in the show notes. Also, stay past the end credits for some bloopers and hit me up with your questions and suggestions. I love reading them. While you're at it, take a second to rate this episode because your ratings 
really do move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com all at the Queen Trail podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail. And until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, finding your why joy, elegance, and beauty. That color? <laughs> no, it's like the smooth jazz station voice. Right. And now, oh my gosh. That's get so ready funny. for, I don't yeah. know, who's a, who's know. a good jazz person? Uh, oh my God, that's really terrible that we don't I know. know. Uh, Joe Mangione, that one trumpeter who did a lot of stuff on Wave. So now... Everybody, we're ready for Joe Mangione. That's right. Listening to the smooth sounds of, yeah, let me go outside. That's not very, yeah, that's not very elegant. Slam. All right. Sorry about that. It's okay. I, I just, I was laughing so hard at the whole thing because he's like, okay, I'm in my car now. You know, you hear like, ding, ding, ding. Oh my God. <laughs> like, no, I won't do that. 